have one last speaker for you tonight, and that is Dr. Ryan McMullen. He is a senior anaesthetic registrar at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. When not sticking needles into people for both fun and profit, he's often found on a bike or trying to write some comedy. Please welcome Dr. Ryan McMullen. So, let me just transform this into lanky bastard height. Um, good, so we've already heard about self-experimentation tonight and I'm going to talk about a, um, a chap who took self-experimentation to the extreme, um, a guy by the name of Professor Edgar Pask. He was a British anaesthetist born in 1912. Now, by all accounts, Edgar was a quiet, he was an unassuming man, but during the Second World War was involved in a series of dangerous and quite remarkable self-experimentation, including the events of you know, what would happen if you jumped out of a plane at a really high altitude in terms of the physiological effects. Turns out, bad shit. Um, <laughs> he also looked at resuscitation techniques and the effectiveness of life jackets. Um, if we consider, though, Winston Churchill, we, people often said Winston Churchill was apparently a fan of the theatrical prop, and I wish I had a theatrical prop right now. Right um, it was rumoured that the iconical cigar that he used to clench between his teeth often remained unlit. Unfortunately for the anti-smoking campaigners, that was probably untrue. Professor Edgar Pask, while serving in the RAF, um, was asked to devise a method of allowing Churchill to smoke whilst flying at altitudes greater than 8,000 feet. As for people that don't know, these altitudes require supplemental oxygen for both passengers and aircrew. In the spirit of great British ingenuity, Pask had a cup of tea and a biscuit, devised a prototype device that worked as intended. But Pask himself documented the problems that plagued the device and actually prevented it from ever going into service for Sir Winston. To quote Sir Edgar, the, uh, the device worked unless you happened to put your tongue over the end of the cigar holder while it was inside the mouth. This caused oxygen to flow, not into Winston Churchill, but out through the lit cigar. The wretched thing would then burn into a bright white flame and almost an inch of the best Havana disappeared. <laughs> the loss of such a great quantity of cigar was considered sacrilege and the device abandoned. <laughs> Whilst no doubt an important engineering achievement in the eyes of the wartime Prime Minister, it's not the only reason I'm up here speaking to you guys. <laughs> Pasca's greatest achievements were thankfully much more substantial. Um, in fact, in more recent times, uh, Edgar Pask has been described as the most important man in the British Air Force, never to actually fly a plane. Born in 1912, Edgar came from a Cheshire business family and obtained an open scholarship to Downing College in Cambridge, from which he graduated with first-class honours in the natural sciences. He was then lured to the hive of anaesthesia. Now, I'm not sure what a hive of anaesthesia is, but I'd like to go there one day. Um, and this was at the Nuffield Department of Anaesthetics in Oxford, where Professor Robert McIntosh, for all you anaesthetic nerds, <laughs> anaesthetic nerd, um, 
Robert McIntosh took him under his tutelage. Um, McIntosh himself was actually a former World War I pilot, um, and he was a brilliant man. He was one of anesthesia's elite um, and inspired Edgar Pass to join the RAF. Taking a sidestep here, um, for those of you in the audience not abreast of the maritime history of the Royal British Navy, I'll bring you up to speed on some history. Life jacket designs was a problem. The improvement of the crude life jacket design worn by seamen of the, uh, of the First World War was a problem that the British Navy had never considered fixing. Despite thousands of men, and probably women, um, dying after abandoning ship, they were often found head down underwater the issue wasn't really given any attention. The, uh, their best plan was, well, put some more cork in it. That didn't work. Um, but given most of the British Navy at the time were pressed gang into service, the problem wasn't considered top priority. However, in the Second World War, airmen were dying from parachuting from their stricken vehicles and landing in the drink. Airmen were expensive. They were hard to train and they were hard to replace, and this actually prompted action, so PASC was in tasked with improving the design. After coming up, and this is where the story gets great, so after coming up with concepts, Edgar would dress in a variety of experimental life jacket designs, and after being anaesthetised by his mentor Macintosh, he would be tossed adrift into the swimming pool of the hospital to test the practicality of the designs. I just want to stop for a second for people to think about that. This was anaesthesia in the 1940s. You know, today we have a multitude, you know, a plethora of monitoring, you know, from the basics such as blood pressure, heart rate, to the more complex monitoring of brain electroencephalograms, uh, continuous real-time ultrasonography of the heart. We have some wicked shit. But we still have risk associated with anaesthesia. Um, we can anaesthetise healthy people and there's still an element of risk associated with that. And we're doing so in a nice, dry, warm environment. Well, unless you consider the neurosurgical theatre, um, that shit is cold. <laughs> Talk about brain freeze. Thank you. <laughs> That's a slow burn. Um, <laughs> Well done to those of you that got it. Um, and here we have some geezer. He's floating around in a pool, completely anaesthetised. No monitoring. He's only connected to a ventilator via an endotracheal tube. Ten metres of breathing circuit, all in the name of science. How gnarly is that? However, unsurprisingly, the experiments were both dramatic and traumatic. Quite extraordinarily, however, the, um, the experiments were filmed to be shown to air crew to try and boost morale to show that something was being done about the life preservers, not in actual fact being life preservers. Some of the videos are available on Vimeo today and hopefully, uh, if I sent it to you, Nat, um, they'll be live tweeted during the talk. It's pretty amazing. Um, unfortunately, after each experiment, Edgar was admitted to hospital to recover most likely due to the aspiration of water that occurred during the experiments. However, he was successful in developing a new form of inflatable life jacket that not only provided buoyancy, but it also rotated and elevated the head of the wearer to be above water. An innumerable amount of lives were saved due to this design, and in fact, a variant of it is still used today, so check under the seat uh, in economy and under the armrest in business class. 
Um, his mentor, Professor McIntosh, was uh, often commented that Edgar Pass did his most important work for his MD thesis whilst asleep. So pretty much like me during undergraduate study then. Um, later on in the war, however, the RAF were presented with B-17 bombers from the United States. These flying fortresses, uh, fortresses flew at altitudes higher than Everest in a thin aluminium tube, a horridly cold and harsh atmosphere with minuscule amounts of oxygen available in the atmosphere. To satisfy his, and technically the RAF's, curiosity at what would happen if aircrew bailed at these extreme altitudes, Pask and five of his junior doctors from his department experimented on each other in an attempt to answer that question. But as a side note, it's, um, it's quite reassuring to see that junior doctors back then were as eager to impress their uh, bosses in an attempt to get onto a training program. <laughs> I only had to do an audit. Um, I hope it seems just as heroic in 70 years' time when I'm disgusted at the Labora story. <laughs> so about 16 of these experiments of uh, simulating ejection at high altitude were undertaken, and Pask was the subject for seven of them himself. They were exposed to very, very low uh, concentration of oxygen. Um, at sea level, the normal atmospheric oxygen partial pressure represents about 20.095%. Um, of the gas content of the atmosphere. So Pask and his subjects uh, were exposed to oxygen pressures equivalent to about 7%, so about a third of what uh, we're all breathing tonight. The records of the experiments make uh, horrific but quite compelling uh, reading when you realise how close to death these otherwise healthy men were skating. The record describes the subjects being asphyxiated. Um, they were not breathing, dilated pupils, and then this horrific uh, description of their slow recovery back to their baseline. The experiments with Pask himself doing this whilst being suspended from a parachute were particularly awful. Um, however, like a good scientist, he answered the question um, and he worked out the highest altitude that uh, aircrew could survive from bailing out from and also recommended supplemental oxygen. Asphyxiating yourself, I wouldn't have thought that necessarily uh, would have been needed. But like all uh, brilliant scientists, Pask had his foibles. He was a 60-a-day smoker with uh, his residents and registrars being expected to carry cigarettes and matches uh, so that their boss may indulge at his pleasure. He often appeared in the middle of the night, however, at the shoulder of a junior uh, with a difficult case. Whilst his advice was invaluable, his anaesthetic skills, not so much. Uh, it is said that his junior doctors uh, feared the need for surgery just in case they had to have one of his anaesthetics. Uh, Professor Edgar Pask passed away at the age of 53 after a period of chronic illness attributed to his barrage of near drownings and probably a 60-a-day habit. The Association of Anaesthetists of Great Britain and Ireland actually um, bestow an Edgar Pask Award to honour those who have rendered uh, distinguished service either with gallantry in the performance of their clinical duties um, in a single meritorious act or consistently and faithfully over a long period of time. And that's actually a really quite fitting uh, acknowledgement from the professional body. The fact that, um, and sorry, this is going to bring the tone down a little bit, but Edgar Pask risked his life repeatedly to save the lives of those directly involved in the war effort is even more impressive when you juxtapose it um, to what was happening across the Channel and continental Europe at the time. 
the programs of medical experimentation in Dachau, uh, Dachau and Auschwitz were not just cruel forms of torture. If you actually go and read it, the Nazis themselves were tackling the same wartime problems that Pask himself had tried to solve, but obviously in a very, very different manner. The inhumanity of the German doctors tried uh, at Nuremberg is seen even more clearly when you sort of set them against Edgar Pass's personal self-sacrifice. Sorry to be a little bit of a downer, but that's Edgar Pask. <laughs>